I always wanted to be a chef from like four or five years old. It was just something that I've just always had a passion for. Uh, also like feeding people, it's like something that I really love. It's, it's just something really nice to like serve others and to feed people and make others happy through food. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Craft beer has changed the conversation on beer over the last two decades in Australia. Boutique distillers have joined the conversation and helped forge a new path for spirits. And with the evolution of our culinary landscape, gastropubs have come to rival restaurants for an amazing meal. With the boom of boutique breweries and distilleries has come a new age and new type of gastropub offering. Emily Jones is a head chef of Republic of Fremantle. Emily, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Tell us a little bit about where you are. Distilleries have really taken off in Australia, but um, not known for their food. You're doing something quite unique there. Um, yeah, so, um, so the distillery that I'm working at, um, first of all, we have a grape-to-glass ethos, so we make our base spirit, um, and that's really important. Like, sorry, we make it from wine, um, and so that has been taken into my food offering. Um, so right now we just have half of the venue opened, um, which is the front bar, and I'm just um, – sorry. I'm just um, providing – like uh, high-end snacks, really. WA has uh, had an interesting time compared to a lot of Australia and is, has been open up um, for quite some time. What's it like over there? So it's been good because we obviously haven't had as many shutdowns as uh, other states in WA with the coronavirus and things like that. Um, it's also been a lot harder for us to find good chefs and staff around um, with the lack of um, people moving around in the States. But um, it's been like, oh, I don't know how to explain it. Um, we've been really lucky to be able to be opened and uh, with the people that have been moving through um, Western Australia and I feel like a lot of people are uh, they're supporting local and there's a really big push for that so everywhere's been like we haven't had the normal lull that we would have in winter and we've been consistently busy um, as a, a bar distillery restaurant um, and I think that that's really reflected everyone around here Take us back to when you were young. When did you first start getting interested in food? Um, I I always wanted to be a chef. Um, I, from like four or five years old, I remember watching like people like Jamie Oliver on TV um, and just wanting to do that. Um, and then cooking with my my grandparents and my auntie and it was just something that I've just always had a passion for. Uh, also, like feeding people, it's like something that I really love. It's 
like the actual the yeah the it's just something really nice to like serve others and to feed people and make others happy through food tell us about when you first started working in a commercial kitchen do you remember your first day um i think i was very nervous <laughs> um yeah so i was very lucky so i worked with a lot of strong female chefs in my first job which is very unlikely um to find more than one maybe two female chefs in a kitchen but i think we had like nine or ten when i started which it was like i didn't realize how lucky i was then to have such a strong and the leadership team as well the sous chefs were both female so it was yeah it was i was really lucky with that and um i was taught everything I don't want to say the right way. Um, I don't know if there really is a right way, but to the best of what they could do, we were doing everything from the beginning. We weren't buying anything in. So I feel like I had a really great start. What's been some of the really key moments early on for you as a chef uh, as you developed your skills? Uh, being a chef is just like uh, a bit of a roller coaster. So. I was in the same restaurant for four years where I completed my apprenticeship and then a year after. And I don't know, you feel like you're the best and you're on the top of the world. And then I left to go to the UK and all of a sudden I, I realized that working only in one kitchen, I didn't know anything. And I was at the bottom of the pack and I was um, – you know, just really having to work. Like you have to try and stay humble and, um, you know, somebody, you can learn something from anyone. It's like really important um, that, you know, the kitchen hand can teach me something. Um, and obviously every chef or every person that you come across can also teach you something. So learning that, um, you know, four years in was really important. And I think it really changed the way that I um, see this industry. What were some of the key venues that you, you worked at um, as you built your career? Um, so I started in at Matilda Bay, which is a restaurant um, in Perth on the river. Um they do a lot of like weddings and things like that. So it's more of a function venue, um, which was great to learn uh, about large volume and scale. And then in the UK, I staged at a lot of um, Michelin star restaurants. Uh, and that was like really where I got a taste for fine dining. And then when I came back to Perth, I just worked anywhere I could that – I felt like I was going to gain the best uh, knowledge. So I worked at Wildflower and I worked at Rockpool and went back to Wildflower. And then I had a little break for about six months where I travelled around Australia um, because I realised I had seen more of the world that I had of my own country because I hadn't really even been out of my state. <laughs> um, 
And it's where I realized that we had such uh, amazing produce here and we've literally got every season in one country, like at one time, essentially, which is mind blowing. Like, especially in WA, we have like the tropics at the top and we have cold at the bottom and then in the middle it's quite temperate so it's just um you can grow anything all year round and the animals have a great depth of flavor because of this as well and the seafood we can get from the west west coast is just amazing but anyway so then um i moved to moved back to perth and um, I started working at Cook and Mason because their focus was on this uh, local, uh, supporting local and um, using everything, which was just really important to me at the time. You mentioned when you uh, took a trip around Australia that it really connected you with the ingredients and changed um, changed your perceptions of food in Australia. Do you have any standout experiences from that trip you can tell us about? Um, so my partner and I, we we went to a Favour dinner, um, which uh, I think they actually call themselves Further. Um, so a chef from Western Australia, he travels around Australia and cooks out of a truck, essentially, using uh, Australian ingredients. Um, and just seeing what he could do from this truck, it was just amazing to watch, like three chefs just cooking literally on fires and on trestle tables to feed 30 or 40 people just outside under the stars which was quite amazing. Um, and then also when we were in the Northern Territory, any bushwalk or um, like tour we could find, we would jump on. And so just walking with um, like a tour guide and them explaining how the land is used and the different ingredients and the things you can eat um, from the land was just really eye-opening. You mentioned Wildflower and Rockpool as uh, two of the important restaurants that you worked at. Take us back to your time at Wildflower. It's It's been had an incredible influence on WA uh, since its inception. What, what was it like working there? Um, it was It was hard. Um, I was a part of the opening team at Wildflower the, when it first opened. Um, I was just a commie then and it was run, like it was run really well, but it was run in quite a military style, it was quite a military style kitchen, which is what kitchens are known for. But everything that I did there just made... Uh, me better as a chef. Uh, we sat down with um, elders from uh, Noongar elders and they would teach us about the six seasons, which was the philosophy at Wildflower. Um, 
which really influenced their food when I was there, um, which was really important because you have to have an understanding of the philosophy you're trying to cook and um, being still very young in my career when I first started there, it was something that I think also just really shaped me, um, knowing that this is important for this reason and um, like the flow of um, the seasons and how they, just how they worked really. You also spent time at, at Rockpool. How different was that to the experiences you had at Wildflower? It's completely different. Um, so Wildflower was a fine dining focused um, restaurant. We served like degustations mainly. And then Rockpool is all of a sudden like a 350 person a night uh, like a steakhouse. So everything is faster. There was still a really high attention to detail, but I'm not going to lie for the first few months I was like, it was a shock to me. I used to look after three or four dishes, like even two dishes in a day. And then all of a sudden I'm looking after 15 dishes and three people. And it was, yeah, it was crazy because it's just completely different, but it really, it helped me to understand like some things you need to take time with, but other things, you know, you need to choose the, the faster way. Like there was, there was no time there. You had to prep hard every day and just it was very fast and hard. It was just the complete opposite of each other really. Um, but both still had a really strong like attention to detail, which was good. You spent some time uh, in Norway as well, working in three Michelin star restaurants. Tell us about that experience. Do you have any stories of, of that time? Um, yeah. So I applied for an internship um, in the test kitchen and I was shocked when I, um, I got it. Um, so I went to Norway and I was working at MIMO and they had closed um, MIMO and they reopened it in a new location. Um, so I was essentially a part of their opening team, but I was in the test kitchen. So we were planning the new menu. And um, so something that I like to have a real focus on is um, waste management, I guess, because kitchens can be really wasteful. Um, so I essentially, I got the job because that was something that I was so passionate about and they wanted to reduce their waste. So, um, I looked at the things they were doing and then tried to come up with ways to use the waste that they were producing. Um, but also it was, it was, everyone was jealous of uh, me and the two other guys that got to work in the test kitchen because um, there's a lot of chefs at MIMO and they all look after, you know, one dish or maybe two snacks or something. 
Um, but in the test kitchen, we also serviced the private dining room. So I got to play and eat the whole menu multiple times. <laughs> and I, like, I got to see everything, which even the full-time chefs that were employed there, they, they didn't get to do. So it was really special. Waste is a real issue in commercial kitchens. Do you have any examples of um, what you did there to reduce waste or to use waste in a different way? Um, I honestly was only there for um, seven or eight weeks when COVID uh, put me into lockdown. Um, but I was mainly starting to make things like garums and uh, like exo sauce and things like that to use leftover seafood. Uh, Norway is big on their seafood, so a lot of their menus um, were seafood focused. Um, but also, uh, sorry, using shellfish uh, to make sauces and things like that, um, like their shells and their um, coral and things like that. So just trying to use everything. So you were in Norway when the lockdown first happened. How long did it take you and and what was the road to get back home to Perth like? Um, so COVID in Norway happened really quickly. Um, within three days, they went from zero cases to over a thousand. And when that happened, they shut down straight away, everything. Uh, they closed the airports. They, like everybody was essentially told to isolate in your home. And the only thing that was open were the grocery stores, the pharmacy and the doctor. They were the only things you could leave for. Um, they weren't letting you go out for exercise. Like there was nothing you were. And at the time I was there, I was in a studio apartment. So, um, I think the, I spent three weeks, uh, there before I could get on a flight home. Cause every time I booked a flight to leave, the flights were being canceled. So, um, there was, yeah, it was a really hard time, I feel, um, mainly being locked in a, a studio apartment because I literally had a bathroom and a, a bedroom. Like my bed took up the entire space of the apartment. Um, there was like a one gas burner and I just remember I think day three and I was, I'm somebody that has to keep moving. I can't sit still. Um, like I really struggle to do nothing. So by day three, I was writing myself prep lists and I was, I was making pasta, uh, on the little side table next to my bed and I was making bread and like I didn't have an oven or anything I just had one burner to cook on but I was just I was trying to do anything to occupy my mind I was making pork bone broths and dumplings and really anything the shops were obviously stripped like they were here as well so there wasn't very much that I could buy and because lockdown happened so quickly I was actually at work at MIMO 
when they called the lockdown. So we had to clean the venue and make sure it was going to be fine to be closed for two weeks, um, which was what they said originally. Um, and then by the time I got home, the shops were empty. There was nothing there. So I literally bought anything that I could and just started cooking in this little room um, because it was the only thing I, I knew how to do. And yeah, just like wrote myself prep list and it was literally 9am, wake up, do 30 minutes of yoga, make pasta, air dry. Like it was insane. When you, when you finally did get that flight and then uh, you, what did it feel like to land back in Perth after that experience? Um, I was, it was a mix of emotions. I was really happy to be home. Um, I think spending three weeks alone in a studio apartment made me like very nervous. So I was worried that I would have COVID because I had just been on an airplane. Um, I came home and then I was um, in isolation for two weeks at my house, thankfully, but um, I still couldn't see anybody. And so that was probably the hardest part. And then obviously it was bitter because I was supposed to be in Norway for uh, three to six months and I was there for seven or eight weeks, like maybe 10, including the the time I spent in my room. Um, so it was like, it was a big mix of emotions. It was, it was great because um, I have a partner and I have a dog. So coming home to them was fantastic. But for two weeks of it, it was just me and my dog. Um, <laughs> Tell us about re-entering the workforce here. What, what did you do before um, landing where you are now? Um, I tried to work casually. <laughs> so my, my wife was working on the mines and we have a dog. So um, I had to kind of work around to be home to feed my dog um, twice a day. So I was trying the casual thing, but I, I couldn't do it. Um, I think I just care a little bit too much to just roll in and roll out when my shift is over. Um, so I was really struggling with that. And I saw the opportunity to come and work here at the distillery. Um, so I applied for it and I got it, which was really amazing. Um, but yeah, the, the casual chef life is definitely not for me. You're at uh, Republic of Fremantle now with a sort of um, from scratch ethos and where you're bringing in your zero waste um, ethos as well. T tell us about what you're doing there. Um, so first of all, right now, I actually have a, a temporary kitchen. Um, so the real kitchen hasn't been built yet and only half of the venue <laughs> is opened. So I really have to think outside of the box Um to come up with dishes that I can make in the kitchen that I have. But I think all in all, like obviously I would love to have a full kitchen, um, but it's really cool to have this challenge um, to think of ways of cooking without cooking essentially. 
Um, but uh, I'm essentially making bar snacks um, and I'm trying to do it as well as I can. Um, and yeah, we make everything uh, here at the distillery that's on the menu. And if we don't make it, we find the best people that can make it for us um, locally. Is there um, a snack or two that you can tell us about that sort of really encapsulates what you're doing right now? Um, so we have we have a crumpet on the menu. That seems to be everybody's favourite. Um, so we make the crumpet, which is actually a recipe that I was playing with when I was in lockdown. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we also we make butter, so we culture cream and then we turn that into butter and we turn that into tomato butter um, with some tomatoes that we semi-dry. Um, and that goes on our crumpet with some uh, diced tomatoes and chives and we finish it with the Yarrow Val Valley caviar, the smoked uh, salmon roe, uh, and some creme fraiche, which we also make here. So that's one of our little snacks that we make. I think it will be on the menu uh, forever. <laughs> you mentioned that the kitchen is uh, being is yet to be built. When when you do get the keys to that kitchen, well, what, what's the plan? What's what what sort of food will you be um, dishing up? Um, I'm still deciding, to be honest. Um, we're definitely like I want to keep the front bar. Uh, the way it is with the snacks, maybe less, but uh, with a higher quality. And we're going to open a – when it's opened, we're going to be like a 350-capacity venue, which is – it's going to be insane. Um, and we're going to have – probably long share styled dining out the back of the distillery near the stills. Um, so all I know for now is I'm going to just keep focusing on using local suppliers and the from scratch ethos and I'm just going to go from there. I feel like the menu has been evolving since I started working here um, we're actually changing the menu tomorrow, so <laughs> that's pretty crazy. But, um, yeah, I just I want it to keep evolving and just keep growing. We have such a high-quality spirit that we're making, and I want to get to a point where I can say the food is of just as high quality as this spirit. And, like... That's what's really important to me is that we all just keep growing um, together. It's the beverage offering that's um, being produced there. Does that influence your direction with the food? Is there a, is there a thought to match um, with some of the beverages? Um, yeah, so right now we're a distillery and a cocktail bar. And so all of the snacks that I've made, they represent what I can find locally 
um, of the best quality. And also they're designed to have with cocktails. Um, so they're all, they're either like by the piece snacks, freshly shucked oysters or small plates that are designed to share between a couple of friends while you're drinking cocktails. Um, the drinks menu and the food menu are like we discuss what they're looking at putting on the menu and what I'm looking at putting on the menu um, a bit, but really I just make sure that everything I make is going to go with gin or vodka, which is what we make. When you do get the keys to the new kitchen, um, what are you most looking forward to? <laughs> Cooking. <laughs> um, so we don't have an extraction right now, so we don't really cook. I'm really looking forward to just cooking meat or it's sad, but when you don't have the ability to just put a steak on a grill or put something in a pan, it's, it's, yeah, it's really the thing that I'm looking forward to most is just being able to use pans and a grill and maybe even a fryer. I don't even really like fryers, but you know, I might even get on board with those if I, <laughs> yeah. Well, Emily, hopefully that day is not too far away. Um, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Okay, thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.